My father used to love to tell a joke about Bill and Hillary Clinton that I now hear people tell about Barack and Michelle Obama. The president and the first lady stop at a gas station. Does this sound familiar? They stop at a gas station, and the attendant comes up to them and says, Michelle, is that you? And Michelle, the first lady, looks up and says, ah! and they embrace each other in a warm, kind of a long hug. So, you know, they, they talk a little bit, and then she gets back in the car, and the president asks, who was that guy? And the first lady explains that he was an old high school flame who was madly in love with her for four years. The president kind of smirks and smiles and says, well, if you had stayed with him, today you'd be married to a man who works at a gas station. She pauses and smiles and says, no, if I had married him, he would be president today. <laughs> so believe it or not, we have somewhat of a parallel situation in this week's Torah portion, Korach. There's a discrepancy in the story when you're reading the text about Korach's rebellion. At the beginning of number 16, the Torah tells us, Now Korach of Ischar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, betook himself along with Datan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Pelech, descendants of Reuben, to rise up against Moses. So there are four leaders of the rebellion against Moses. Korach, who's the most famous, right? Datan, Abiram, and On, the fourth one. But by the conclusion of the story in Numbers, when the rebels are being punished by God with quite dramatic deaths, only three leaders are still mentioned, Datan, Abiran, and Korach, and all of their families and possessions are all swallowed up by the earth as a punishment from God. But On, the fourth leader, his name is not on the list, and he's never again mentioned in the text. So the rabbis ask, what happened to On? What happened to the fourth leader of the rebellion? And why isn't he mentioned in the list of punishments at the end of the story? And they give us a midrash, they give us a story, a commentary, to explain what happened to On. Why did he not get swallowed up by the earth with the rest of the rebels? So it goes like this. After hearing Korach's call for rebellion against the unfair leadership of Moses and his brother Aaron, On, like a good spouse, goes home and tells his wife everything that happened that day at work. She is somewhat unimpressed with what he describes. She points out to her husband that the rebellion will leave him no better off professionally. He is currently subordinate to Aaron, the high priest, and if the rebellion is successful, he will then be subordinate to Korah, the leader of the rebellion. He's basically just trading one boss for another. So Owen sees the truth of his wife's argument, but he feels trapped. He already made an oath to Korah to join him in the rebellion, and he does not feel that he can violate this oath that he already made. So Owen's wife decides to take matters into her own hands. She gets her husband so drunk that he passes out on the bed. And then she sits at the front door of their home with her hair undone and exposed. So that any time a, rebe a rebel approaches to summon her husband to join them, they are forced to withdraw the minute that they see her immodest appearance at the threshold of their home. 
So when the earth opens up to swallow Korach and all of his followers, the bed on which On sleeps begins to rock and roll toward the opening in the earth. But On's wife grabs hold of the bed and pleads with God, O Lord of the world, my husband made a solemn vow to never again take part in any rebellions. You who live and endure for all eternity can punish him if he ever proves false to this vow. So God hears her prayer and spares On. When On finally wakes up with a potentially serious hangover, the rebellion has already been put down and he is still safe at home sleeping in his bed. So although we never learn her name, On's wife saves her family from destruction. Her ingenuity keeps her husband from being swallowed up with the rest of Korach's rebellion. She even lies to God, or at least we never learn in the story of whether or not he actually made a vow before he passed out. But she claims he does, and whether God knows the truth or not, God, in essence, forgives him, or at least honors her, by letting On and his family live. The rabbis are so imaginative in this story. They take a small hole in the text, the difference of one man's name and a list of names, and they expand it into an entertaining narrative about domestic relationships and all their complexities. So there are many directions that we can take in understanding this text. There are many complicated layers, certainly in its portrayal of women. Although Owen's wife was very strategic, really a political thinker, who knew how to advise her husband on his career choices, she ultimately had to use alcohol and her sexuality to achieve her goals. Right? So that's a little complicated, but it's not what I want to talk about or focus on on this Shabbat. For this Shabbat, I felt like I had to name it. I didn't want you to think I didn't recognize the gender implications of the text. But for this Shabbat, for Shabbat Korach, I want to focus on another dimension of the story, that we are not alone in leadership, that we are not alone in leadership. We all encounter a Korach in our lives, or many Korachs in our lives, a temptation not to be rebellious, because being rebellious can be good at times, but to rebel against the path to becoming better people. It can be an unhealthy relationship that we're in, or a destructive job that we just don't seem to be able to leave. It can even just be that second piece of chocolate cake that is calling to us for Shabbat dessert. There are many Korachs in our lives in all different forms. And whether it's a spouse or a parent, a friend or a mentor, we all need someone to point out the fallacy of our arguments. We need someone to remind us of the bigger picture that we don't always see. We need someone to help keep us from making poor choices. The need for these partners to not only support us, but also perhaps to police us, is just as imperative for us today as it was for the rabbis who wrote our midrash. Hopefully, we don't have to use alcohol to be that person, but you get the idea. Without his wife, On would have joined Korach in the rebellion, and he and his entire family would have been swallowed up by the earth, 
never to see the promised land. So over the span of 2,000 years, from rabbinic literature and the Talmud and the Midrash to a popular joke that seems to evolve over time, there is a common archetype of the strong woman behind the powerful man. And in some ways, things have changed radically, and in other ways, they have stayed very much the same. But on this Shabbat, let us appreciate the timeless message that we are not alone in leadership, that we need to be in relationship with each other to be successful in life, in all of its different forms. So on this Shabbat, may we learn from On and his wife, May we search out and be open to the counsel of those we love and respect. And may we offer wise and compassionate advice to those that we hold dear. Shabbat Shalom.